What is going on, Trash Talkers? We are back with another episode for you. This week, we start off with the state of officiating in the NFL and explain why this is a bigger problem than just one game. Then, we explain the facts in the latest cheating scandal surrounding the New England Patriots, plus a recap of a possible preview of the NFC Championship game that was a shootout between the Saints and the 49ers. After, we debate how the college football playoff is going to shake out and who will be the next Heisman Trophy winner. All that and much more coming your way right now. It's off the letter, defended by Simmons. Is this the tender? Trash Talkers, we are back. We're really excited to get started this week. We have a lot to get to, so we're going to jump right in. First, we're going to start off with the Patriots and Chiefs game from this past Sunday. Um, obviously, the, the Chiefs beat the Patriots in uh, what was a rematch of last year's AFC Championship game. Uh, but if you looked at social media, that wasn't the whole story. Um, and Nick, I'm sure you can attest to this. This was probably the worst officiated game of the season. Uh, my real question is, was this the worst officiated game ever? Uh, I don't know if it was the worst officiated game ever. I still think because of what happened in the NFC Championship game last year, I think that takes the cake just because of the stakes. Uh, sure, yeah. The, the, yeah. So, but I would definitely say... In at least in my recent memory, this definitely was the worst officiated game in the regular season that I can recall. I don't because the refs didn't really play a factor too much until it really mattered at the end of the game. Now, if the if this were a runaway by the Chiefs, which it looked like it was going to be, we wouldn't be talking about this. But it wasn't. This was a very competitive game. And it just got completely overtaken by the refs, and that's something you never want to see. This is right, so I'm going to just inform our, our listeners real quick on some of the – just some of the uh, transgressions that we're going to be talking about here. The first one is going to be uh, uh, Jason, uh, Devin McCourty forced a fumble of Travis Kelsey as he was turning the corner to turn up field. Um, the ball – hit the ground, Stefan Gilmore picks it up, starts running down the sideline, and he had a clear shot to the end zone and uh, was most likely going to score. 
but the refs decided to blow their whistle, which has gone against everything that they've been taught, especially this year, which was a high precedent uh, that they were trying to set this year, is let the plays play out. They blew the whistle as soon as the ball hit the ground because they were saying that Travis Kelsey uh, was was down before the contact. Patriots had to review that, uh, uh, challenge it. It was reviewed and overturned based on based on that challenge. So that that's the first one. The second major one was uh, a ruling between two referees who said that Nikhil Harry, when he turned up field, stepped out of bounds on the uh, far sideline as he uh, extended to reach the pylon for a touchdown. And then upon further review, uh, he was nowhere close to stepping out of bounds. There was plenty of space in between his foot and the sideline. It was clear as uh, clear as day. And because the Patriots had to challenge uh, calls beforehand because the referees weren't doing their job then, uh, now you have they weren't able to challenge this call. So it went unreviewed and it took uh, a touchdown away from the Patriots. And then that drive ended up in only being a field goal because they couldn't score in the red zone. Uh, and th- those are two of the major points that we're going to cover here. There were plenty more transgressions, but I just wanted to get that out of the way. Well, one thing I just want to add to that is if you go be- before the Travis Kelsey fumble, we-, we have to take into account the first play that the Patriots challenged, which was a what was called a first down by the, the refs. And it was, uh, uh, you know, after quick uh, replay on the jumbotron, we saw that uh, it was uh, it was a lot closer than it, than it uh, they made it out to be. So Patriots threw the flag, challenged it, and upon further review, you could clearly see that where the receiver caught the ball, he was the ball was well before the first down marker, and even the player's body was uh, behind the first down marker, and he got tackled backwards. And the when they came back from review, they said that the play st- stood because there wasn't enough evidence to overturn it, as well as they kept the the uh, the field uh, where, like where they spotted the ball, which was two yards beyond the first down marker. Right. The 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 position that the refs gave the Chiefs wasn't even close because they weren't paying attention to where the player was at the time he was touched and tackled. They were just pay- they were just watching a football game. They weren't now, doing he their jobs. The, he caught the ball and was immediately touched by the defender. So oh, he the, was the touched fact that there, and there I mean there was backwards. no room for for error there because he didn't go anywhere else besides backwards. And and forward progress says that the ball is stopped at the forwardmost point in which the receiver has clear and uh obvious control of the football. And it, so when when you're when you're talking about that you're saying that the receiver when he gained control using their definition that means he had Two feet on the ground and made a football move, which means he covered up the ball and took a third step or did something of the like. By by those standards, you're saying that he was at least a yard behind the line behind the first down marker, which is a two yard gap. That is six feet that you're saying this this person uh gained when they really didn't and you had obvious time to look it over and you refused to change the call for whatever ungodly reason you came up with and you not only 
gave him gave them the first down, but it allowed them to complete the drive. This was on third down. This would have forced a punt or at least a uh, long. Uh, fourth and one try, which was in Patriots territory at that time, so it most likely would have been a punt. I mean, that changes the entire landscape of uh, the game, and you're talking about two teams that are competing for uh, not only the playoffs, not only for their own divisions, but they're competing for a first-round bye, and with the the way that these games have gone, the, the referees cannot be a factor. No, and going back just to harp on this just one more time, it was clear as day that this ball wasn't even close to the line of scrimmage, or I mean to the first down marker. So I I just don't understand how they were taking a look at this. This isn't reviewed at the stadium. This is reviewed in New York by uh, another official. I just don't know how it went through all of these players in this process or all these refs in this process. And no one, everybody else saw it, but they did not see that this ball was well before the first down marker. And like you said, was, wasn't was even close to where they actually placed the ball. And this, it, this, it's, this, it's even worse because, and I'm just going to jump in here. It's even worse because they had, Tony and Al both said, uh, or uh, Tony he was talking to Gene Steratore, who was the uh, resident official for for the uh, commentating, and he was like, "Yeah, no, this is definitely something that we need to that should be overturned. It, it's clear as day. He's behind the line of scrimmage. It's gonna, you know, they're gonna end up challenging." And and it was like they took, you know, they just said, "Okay, it's done." And then the referees come back with the the call on the field stands, and the you could even see. Um, the commentators and even in their voices they were just absolutely stunned by this they 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 had no idea that this was going to even come close to standing and everybody was shocked it's not just the fans it you know even chiefs fans all over social media were be like were saying that they got away with one on that one yeah and so I mean, this this was a huge factor going ahead in the game. No one expected for the refs to keep making these mistakes, but it just got worse and worse and worse as the game went along. And losing that challenge was huge going into the, uh, that Nikhil Harry play when he stretched out for the touchdown. And both officials, after uh, conferring with each other, said, "Nope, he stepped out at the three yard line." And it was nowhere even close. There were at least th- two to three inches between him and the and the sideline. There was many blades of grass that clearly showed that he was nowhere near out of bounds. And yeah. if if it weren't for these bad play bad calls by the refs earlier in the game, Patriots would have had one of their challenges to use. They wouldn't have been forced to to make these challenges earlier in the game, and. It it comes back to a, a rule that says you only get a third challenge if you're successful on your two previous challenges. The Patriots should have won the first one, but they didn't. They won their second one, and now they're forced. They're in a situation where there's a third time where this is more blatant than all the others, where they could easily win this, but the the refs made a bad call and they're they're out of chances to 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 get a second look at this. And now now it's clearly costing them points. This would have put them within three points if, if they were successful on the extra point. And we saw at, on the last drive, 
they were on the three or four yard line going in. That's much shorter than any extra point is uh, these days. So that would that would have been a piece of cake for the uh, Patriots kicker, and this yeah. game would have been sent to overtime, or the Patriots might have had the lead. So I mean, anybody can go back. I, I if you haven't seen it, I implore you go watch it. You're going to see exactly what we're talking about. I want to I want to just dive in on on the officiating it as as a whole here. We've talked about this in the past, and I, you know, I'm not one who necessarily likes officials, uh, especially in my playing days back in uh, high school and and before. Uh, I got into plenty of uh, arguments with officials, but I, in never in my entire life have I seen worse officiating than I've seen this year in the NFL. From what I have been able to witness is the worst officiating jobs I have absolutely ever seen in any sport. This is worse than Tim Donahue, who was fixing games for the mob, okay? This was absolutely and unequivocally one of the worst instances I've ever seen. And you're talking, like I said before, you're talking about two teams that are on the verge of trying to contend for a first-round bye. This, and this isn't just like any officiating crew. This is Jerome Boger, who is most likely the most tenured uh, official out there these days. And his crew just completely lost it this week. They were disgustingly terrible. They're, I, I will say it until I'm blue in the face. Al Riveron is the worst thing that has ever happened to the National Football League. Not only does he need to be fired immediately, but he should be forced to give back money to all those fans that are that uh, had to witness that football game. The, everything that he has done has made the league worse. He comes into league, we don't know what a catch is anymore. He comes in, and we don't know what a touchdown is anymore. I mean... It is blatantly obvious that he is the worst human that has worked for the NFL, and they continue to allow him to to back himself up and back up his referees. There is no accountability in the league. There's nothing that uh, a team can do that says these officials are are costing us a game here. It's not like the NBA where you have 82 chances. One game is a huge swing, especially the later we get in the season. There's not not uh, not a lot of time to make it make up for mistakes like this. If you go back and look at this, the Patriots were taking away 14 points off the board between the Stefan Gilmore fumble recovery that would have been a touchdown and the Nikhil Harry touchdown that was actually that was called back if you took those those two scores you bet your ass that the Patriots would have won this game I guarantee it and the fact that there's no accountability these officials aren't even being talked to the NFL is just moving forward is absolutely pathetic and I'm losing my mind over here now granted this happened to a team that that we both like and I understand it but if it was happening to any other team I was this furious last year when this happened to the Saints, and I don't particularly care for the Saints, but I know when fair is fair and when it's not fair, and this is completely not fair. Something needs to be done, Al Riveron needs to be fired, and there's a whole hell of a lot more that needs to happen. Well, that, that's something I actually want to talk about is just to show that we're not just being homers here and, and trying to defend the Patriots and what happened. 
there were so many plays that went against the Chiefs that should have been called differently. There was a flag thrown against the Patriots for roughing the passer when Chase Winovich landed on top of Patrick Mahomes. They threw a flag and picked it up and said, nope, he landed on the side of him with his body weight completely off of the quarterback. You look at the replay, replay, he was on top of him squarely. Every every bit of 250 pounds landed right on Patrick Mahomes. And you're not going to call that roughing the passer? That's clearly roughing the passer. That was so – that's just ridiculous. I don't know how you you can – they sat there and conferred with each other, these refs, for a solid minute before any call was made. Just like the Nikhil Harry touchdown. There were multiple. They they stood there and talked about it, and they came up with the wrong ruling. How does that happen? How do you have multiple sets of eyes looking at one play and get it wrong? It's not like they're not conferring with each other. If that was the issue, I can understand that to an extent. But they're con- they're actually talking with each other and then giving these terrible rulings. That's the worst possible thing that you can have. Well, they're having these plays where they have these terrible rulings. They have these plays where they throw a flag and they don't make a ruling. And then they have a, fla- a flag where they make a ruling and they don't even know how many yards the penalty holds. There was a hands to the face call against the Patriots on the off uh, on uh, for the Chiefs. They called it a five yard penalty. That is a ten yard penalty, and they completely missed that. That's you're that's, saying that you're saying that the penalty was caused by the Chiefs. No, okay. I, I okay because it, it was on it was against uh, the Duvernay Patriots. Tardif. It was against the Patriots. The and it, the penalty was in favor of the Chiefs. The the Chiefs were only given five yards. When they were supposed to be given 10 yards based on what the rules say. The rules say hands to the face penalties are 10 yards. Right. No, I agree. And and it's not even like they don't know that because they called it earlier in the game the other way. When uh, Dietrich Wise did it to uh, Eric Fisher, they called it a 10-yard penalty and an automatic first down against the Patriots, which is the correct call. It was blatant and obvious. They called it right. How do you get it wrong later in the game? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Any like This officiating crew needs to be torn to shreds. They all need to be fired. Jerome Boger needs to take a step down. Maybe he's not a crew chief anymore because he, like, he has completely lost it. This crew is deplorable at best. They I, all goes, need to lose their jobs. It goes beyond this crew, Mike. It, it goes way beyond this crew. The entire NFL refs, uh, every crew needs to be reset entirely. Bring in refs from college. Bring in more replacement refs. They did a better job when they had to honestly, fill in a few years ago. Honestly, though, the, the replacement refs were so much better there are games, than what we're witnessing now. There's I've, I've heard from different people that said there's at least one of these games every week. But because they're not on the stage that this Patriots game was, we don't see it. And that's just ridiculous. Just because it might be two teams that are, you know, in the back half of the league doesn't mean that these things should happen. They shouldn't happen at all. You're, these are costing people games. They are, you know, just costing people the, jobs. The, they're costing people yeah. contracts. They're costing people playoff seating. They're costing people games. I mean, th- there's so many adverse effects that that we don't necessarily have the time to get into. But the the fact of the matter is, is that. I understand human error is a thing. You you get a bad call. It's going to happen every so often. 
you know what? It sucks when it happens to you, but it's going to happen. When it happens consistently and it's taking points off the board, especially in one game, that's when it is absolutely unacceptable. And people need to answer for that. And I, I, I implore the league to actually develop a program in which these officials are held accountable. Because at least in the NBA, a team can uh, protest the game based on some of the things that are happening. Even in baseball, they have this. You can protest the game and say, from this point on... The rest of the game may not matter because we're protesting this point and saying we want this challenged from the league office standpoint and possibly able to replay it, which happened in the uh, NBA, uh, I believe, in 2007, if I'm not mistaken. So there is a precedent out there for major American sports. I think there needs to be uh, something that – is drastically changed with the NFL in their officiating right now. Absolutely. And I, th- this is something that's been going on for years now. I know that, you know, you had mentioned earlier that the NFL is going to be doing an investigation or uh, just a, a deep dive into uh, from the top down in, in all the uh, referee association of uh, what what's going on, how they handle situations, and I hope the NFL actually comes away with something. I hope they force changes, and I, I they just need to stop trying to make all these referees feel like they they're special and that they are worthy of everything that they they've accomplished. They're clearly not, and it's time for change to be made. I agree. I agree. Um... I believe that we could go on for hours on this topic. Uh, I'm just going to end it here because, you know, I I implore our listeners to go back, watch these different uh, calls and non-calls. There's plenty of videos out there, especially on YouTube, that have documented exactly what happened. Um, and, And I want you to let us know what you think about this. I want you to comment you know, reach out to us. Let us know what you think if you if you think we're overreacting or what the case is. But I I want to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, with that being said, uh, we're going to talk about an overreaction for sure right now, and that is the latest accusation against the New England Patriots of cheating. So uh, if you haven't heard, uh, Zach Taylor was asked uh, post game from the uh, Bengals Browns game. Uh, Zach Taylor, being the head coach of the Bengals, was asked by their radio announcer uh, if he was aware that the Patriots had a camera crew in the Browns press box. And he said that he was aware that the NFL was investigating and that he was not able to comment further uh, because they were looking into the matter, which then set a firestorm ablaze on the New England Patriots' name. They were accused of cheating, accused of doing Spygate 2.0 all over again. And, um, you know, the, the facts are out there. We'll get into it. But I just want to get, Nick, your your thoughts on exactly what's been transpiring over the last uh, 48 hours. I've really tried my best to kind of stay away from this, but it, it, it's it's found me. And... It's it's really starting to bother me that everybody is just trusting what the sports media has to say, taking everything they say as fact and not doing their own research. 
everybody needs to actually read into what what was going on. And I know there's a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of Patriots fans, or even if you're a Patriots fan, you may not even watch the docu series that go on on YouTube um, that the Patriots host. And it's this was all part of their Do Your Job series where they follow people in the Patriots organization that are behind the scenes that you don't see. You know, we just they just came out with the athletic trainers uh, a week ago. They've done um, the kitchen staff, all the the nutritionists, uh, the, the physical trainers, like everybody behind the scenes that that goes into making this team possible. They try to do an individual small uh, documentary on, and so this one was all about the advanced scouting, which is you're a scout that goes to your your upcoming opponent to see what they're all about and to just you know just do some scouting on them. That's exactly what it is. It's that simple, and so they always like to get them you know, doing their job in action to to show you what the, a day in the life of that person is and so the the third crew which was a third party crew followed this advanced scout to the bang browns uh bangles game in cleveland the crew got permission from the cleveland browns organization to film at this at the game they were given credentials by the browns and they stood on the sideline just filming the advanced scout as he did his job and getting some feedback from him. But this was most of what was going on at this game was just B-roll, just getting, you know, clips of him, you know, what what he's looking at, not showing, you know, anything on the sideline of the Bengals. And that's where a lot of this misconception is coming from. A lot of people think that they were just staring right at Zach Taylor, trying to grab his signals, what he's telling the offense, what he's telling the defense, what he's telling his team on the sideline, everything that's going on. That's not the case. They Right. And I'm just going to jump in here. The advanced scout is allowed to look at that stuff as well. You just can't catch it on video. That that is the that is the rule. So for people who don't understand or people who are are quick to judge the Patriots because they had an advanced scout watching and saying, "Well, what if he was looking?" Of course he's allowed to look. That that's what he's there for. He's there and it, it this is what happens in the NFL behind the scenes. You send an advanced scout out uh, as as you uh, portrayed and you said you know, they go into the press box, they get credentialed, and you say, all right, they're there to take notes on the team that they're going to be playing in the next week. They're going to bring those notes to the coach, and this is what they use to help with their game plan. Every team does it. It's part of football. It's part of sports. It happens in baseball, basketball. Your favorite team does it, okay? Now, when you talk about the advanced scout and 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 the uh, videotaping the b-roll is the biggest issue that people are bringing up but it's also the most non-issue i've ever heard because like you said it's b-roll and for people who don't understand what that means it means it it's just uh it's just video that they're gonna use as uh, background or to take like nice clips of to kind of cut away from from the the main attraction of the video it's just something that they use for for filler basically yeah you, it's not it's the, a, the main object of what they're filming yeah it's just a visual as they tell you uh through a voiceover w- what they're doing 
And it, it's right. just to give you a mental idea of what's going on. And a, a, I just don't understand why there's so many people are t- just blowing this out of proportion because – do you think well, they're the blowing Patriots, it out because of 07? I mean, that's, that, that's why. I, I understand that, but you have to be realistic here. Just, you know, put everything aside. Just try to, you know, be as uh, unbiased as possible and think, if you're going to cheat, why not be as savvy as possible about it? But this crew, they were wearing Patriots gear through and through. They were Which they're the, supposed to do when, exactly. they, when they're being credentialed. They have to they have to be very clear about what team they're representing. And so they they were wearing Patriots gear. They had their their uh, cameras and everything. They were wearing their credentials. They were on the Bengals sideline, and just and then they got approached by a security officer from by the Bengal from the Bengals organization. Who, uh, you know, asked you know what they were doing. They told him exactly what they were doing. The guy, you know, brought it up to the higher ups uh, in the organization, and the camera guy was like, "Hey, if this is going to be an issue, we can just you know do this another time. We'll get rid of the footage. We'll you know that you know we're you know we're sorry that no one told you that this was going to happen we had cleared it with the browns we thought you guys knew that's not only that but this is a third party company this isn't they're not employees of craft productions they're not employees of the patriots they are a third party company that was hired to do this for a youtube series this doesn't go to coach belichick that the only thing that goes to the coaches is what the advanced scout takes down as his notes. No video gets sent gets sent to him. None of it. So for people to blow this out of proportion is just preposterous to me. Yeah, and you know the the Patriots just admit they admitted to they didn't admit guilt. They admitted to the miscommunication that went on between the league and the Bengals. They apologized for not letting all parties knew know what was going on. They had mentioned to the Browns, "Hey, this is what we want to do. Can we get some credentials?" They said absolutely, but no one from the I'm not, you know, they they didn't want any blame being put on the Browns, so they absorbed it. So they they just t- they took uh you know ownership of, of that there's nothing to there's no reason that the patriots are cheating or why or reason that they would cheat on a team that's 1 in 12 a team that they face once every 4 years it just there's no just doesn't make any sense. And yeah, I've heard people say, well, Marvin Jones was there for 12 seasons and he was a terrible coach. So why isn't Zach Taylor going to be there for for another 11 years after this? Well, I just you you can say that and that might be true, but at most you're going to see them four times in in the next 12 years uh, or three times in the next 12 years and they're um and and you're going up against uh, or Bill Belichick's the head coach right now. He's not going to be there, you know, in the for the next twelve years. It's just none of this makes sense going around. Bill Belichick is way too smart for this. Robert Kraft is way too smart for this. They're not going to do this again. I, I, they've gone through it in two thousand seven. They're not going to do it again. They're exactly. Especially not going to do it again. Blatantly, 
wear, like, as you said, they're not going to just wear Patriots, unif- uh, like, uh, sweatshirts and, and pants and everything like that, have credentials, and do it with the Browns also watching. Like, that. that's the other thing, is, like, they're not just, like, you know, doing their own thing. They're in the Browns press box. The Browns can see what they're doing. So, if there was anything nefarious going on, you don't think that the Cleveland Browns might have said something? Because I do. They would have been like, well, wait a minute. They beat us. Why, why are they doing this now? They could have, you know, been the whistleblower then, but that's not the case. I, I, I just want to wrap this up uh, because I think we're going to be beating a dead horse if we continue further. Um, as of a uh, half hour ago, Ian Rappaport tweeted that uh, Robert Kraft walked out of a meeting with uh, Commissioner Goodell. Uh, at, they're at the owners' meetings in Dallas right now. Um, and the only comment he gave to reporters was, you know everything you should know right now. And that, that's the only thing he said. He didn't stop and talk to them. That was what he said in, as he was walking by. Um, the video was turned over immediately. The Patriots um, – told that the told the third party company to give them absolutely everything that the NFL wants including all footage cooperate in questions anything that they want you help them out with that's it and we haven't heard a single thing from the league from that since then if we had it probably would have been that there's nothing there but they're they're waiting to see they're trying to see if there is something there they're exercising everything crossing their T's dotting their eyes i there's nothing there they're, they're, they're conjuring something up because they believe that the Patriots are this nefarious organization, that they are the, the worst people, and that they must have cheated because they have six Super Bowls in the last 19 years. I mean, it, it, that's essentially what everybody's going after. They want to tear down the greatest dynasty in recent history. And, you know, at, as of right now, there's nothing to to grab onto you're grabbing at straws if you if you truly believe any of this nonsense yeah and this will all play out in the next few weeks uh there's gonna be a lot more details that come out trust what comes from the nfl i think that's the only reliable source that anybody can really trust right now don't believe what you hear from the media do your own research that's the only way you're gonna really understand the facts of the story and and not hear from the biased sports media Right, and and again, for our listeners, you may say, well, you guys are biased. Again, I, I implore you to do your own research. I want you to make your own ideas, and I want you to tell us in the comments. I want you to reach out to us on social media and say, yeah, this is what I think. That This is what I've been able to uh, conjure up to the best of my ability using all the information available to me. And, and that that's what we want. We want free thinkers who are able to take all of the information in front of them, not people who are going to just jump at conclusions because they think something is going on that shouldn't be. And because there's a, a past there, they're going to just automatically assume and it's going to be uh, the, you know, they're, they're right no matter what. Um, I, I'm tired of not talking about, the actual sports, so we're going to get right back to to doing just that. Uh, I want to talk about probably the best game of the week, um, and it was a 1 o'clock game, which goes back to the terrible scheduling of the NFL, but that's a topic for another time. The 49ers and Saints played an absolute shootout of a game. It was decided in the final seconds. If you didn't watch it, it was an amazing game. Go watch the highlights. It probably won't do it justice, but I, I... I'm telling you, it was an incredible game 
constant highlights. Um, so I just want to get your take. What did you think we learned about these two teams uh, from their from their uh, outing? Well, as you said, this was a complete shootout. And I think the biggest takeaway for me is going into this game, the Saints and 49ers had two of the most stout defenses in the league. And they clearly didn't show up in this game, which leaves me to believe that both defense can, defenses cannot handle elite offenses. And I, I just don't understand how a 49ers defense and a Saints defense that has some of the best pass rushers in the league just didn't really have an effect in this game. The cornerbacks and safeties didn't really have an impact on this game. It was just whoever had the ball at the end was going to win because it was scoring after scoring after scoring. None of these defenders could do anything to make a difference. There were a couple plays here and there, but it had no impact on what was going on. Both offenses were just tearing each other up. You had Emmanuel Sanders, a wide receiver, throwing a touchdown. Like, this just things don't shouldn't go this way against defenses like this. And so, as we you know creep closer and closer to the playoffs, I'm starting to wonder about these defenses and whether they you know maybe they were holding back or uh, who knows. But it just doesn't seem like maybe they're all there. And once they have to face a lot more of these elite teams in back-to-back games. Whether they're, they'll be able to, to hold up to the task. Well, I, I want to just uh, go back to a story that was reported earlier today. Um, unfortunately for the New Orleans Saints, they've lost uh, their star pass rusher, Marcus Davenport, for the rest of the season. Uh, he is seeking a second opinion, but as of right now, it does look like he's going to require surgery on his foot that he injured uh, this past weekend. So that's a huge loss for the Saints. Um, Ian Rappaport, again, uh, being the, the source of that information. Um, but but you're right. This game was incredible. And what it told me was the NFC playoffs is going to be a no-nonsense bludgeoning uh, just fight to the death. They These teams are out for blood, and they're going to let nobody stop in their way it, uh, on their way to get to the Super Bowl. I think that there's a lot here to unpack. Um, the Saints offense showed up for the first time in weeks, I think. Uh, this is probably the first time really since Drew Brees got back where they were tested with a, a very tough defense. And they were able to show up. Now, obviously, they, they lost the game, but they lost on a last-second field goal. And I, I think the the offense had so much to offer. Michael Thomas had an, an incredible game. The running game for the for the Saints was out there. They they were using both uh, Kamara and uh, Latavius Murray. So they were they were. Uh, Moving the ball around to all their different pieces, they were making sure that the the NFL the I'm sorry that the offense wasn't stagnant. Um, and I was it was really great football. If you want to watch a really great football game, this was the one to watch. Yeah, and I, I think it's only going to get. I I believe that these are the two best teams in the NFC. I don't think there's anybody that comes close to them. I think I would say Seattle's pretty close. Um. I mean, after that loss to the um, this past weekend to the Rams, I don't, I don't think so. I, I'm, well, we'll get into that later, but I, I believe that the Rams just played them really well with with Aaron Donald 
you know, not not many teams are built to to protect against him. So, uh, um, it's but I, I do believe the Seahawks are there. I, well, I do. I, I believe be, that they're a close third. Based on how everything is working out right now, it looks like the uh, 49ers are going to be the one seed in the playoffs and the Saints are going to be the three seed in the playoffs. Uh, and and that'll be perfect because that means we'll we'll see them in the uh, NFC Championship game if all goes well, and we'll get a round two of this, which is going to be even better. This was the hype game going into the postseason, and if we get to see this again, everybody's going to want to watch this game because it's going to be absolutely amazing. Now that both teams have have uh, game tape on each other against that opponent. That just makes for an even better game because you're going to see new schemes and uh, different, you know, just so many different looks, uh, different uh, packages on offense and defense. Uh, everybody's going to have to get really creative, and that's what creates for great football. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, they're obviously you said they're the one and three. The the two seed is the Green Bay Packers right now, who finished the season out. Uh, with all three divisional games, they have the Bears, the Vikings, and then the Lions. So, you know, the Saints could end up moving into that uh, that number two spot, especially with the Packers' schedule. The Bears are are not a team to really scoff at right now. The Vikings are are still fighting not only for the division but for a playoff spot. So they're hungry as they can be, and you know the Lions always play the Packers really hard. Uh, so, you know. It's not a given that uh, these won't be the one and two seeds going going forward. Well, either um, either way, the one and two seeds could still face off in the NFC Championship game. No, absolutely, absolutely. I'm not I'm not saying that they can. I'm, all I'm saying is that these we you know this could make for uh, a good like because I don't I don't want to see um, the Saints have to face off against the 49ers in the divisional round. Right? I I don't want to see that. I want to see that. In the NFC Championship game, if 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 that's the case, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, that's that's really where my focus is. I'd love to see it with everything on the line. Can these offenses put together more than what they've already shown? Can these defenses put together something against what they've already seen? Um, there's going to be a lot of chess being played against these two teams. I'm really excited. The 49ers Saints game incredible i cannot hype it up enough one of the best games that i've watched in a very long time yep yeah that um this is gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch in the playoffs yeah oh absolutely um i'm, I'm gonna switch gears here uh, i still want to talk football um but i want to talk college football and uh as most of you who follow uh, follow sports and college football know uh over the weekend, we got the final four rankings, uh, or the final rankings for college football, which allowed us to put the top four in the college football playoff. Um, so the first seed is LSU, the second seed is Ohio State, third seed is Clemson, and the fourth seed is um, uh, Oklahoma. I think. Oklahoma, thank you. <laughs> I saw Jalen Hurts, and I was like, I couldn't figure it out. Um <laughs> So those are the four. So you're going to see Clemson and Ohio State and LSU versus Oklahoma. Those are going to be the two matchups that we see, and then the winners will face off for the college football championship. Um, I just want to see who you believe is going to make it out of the first round, uh, first round and then who you think is going to win the uh, championship. 
Well, I, I believe that uh, it's Ohio State against Oklahoma. Ohio State's going to take this one easy. And no, then, Ohio State's against Clemson, is, aren't they? No, it's the one and four. Oh, I, I believe, I'm sorry. Then I thought LSU was the one. LSU is the two. Okay, my apologies. And then LSU uh, is home against Clemson, and that one's going to be a lot more fun than the Ohio State-Oklahoma game. Uh, but I'm going to give that to the home team. I think LSU is just riding the, this wave right now, and I don't think there's much going to stop them. It's going to be very hard to get in their way. Um, now, moving on to the national championship game, it's uh, LSU against o- Ohio State, and I think Ohio State takes this pretty easy and uh, because of two people. Justin Fields and Chase Young. You have Justin Fields, one of the best young quarterbacks in college football right now. He had a 40 touchdown to one interception ratio this past season. So he's not turning the ball over at all. But on the other side of the ball, you have Chase Young, who just forces every turnover possible and sacks everything in sight. It's just incredible what this guy can do. And he's a potential uh, number one draft pick going to the NFL this tandem on you have one you know two of the best on each side of the ball both Heisman uh, finalists this year I just don't think that there's anybody out there that is as dynamic as Ohio State right now and I think that they are the best team in college right now I think that they are going to run away with this national championship so it's tough for me uh because I, I think that there's a lot of great football players, um, but I really only think that there's one great football team in here. So I, I when I'm looking at this, I'm looking at LSU-Clemson first. Um, as, as good as Trevor Lawrence is, I don't think he's seen anything close to what LSU's going to give him. If you look at the, what, the games that they've played this year, the, the matchups have been... The equivalent of uh, junior college football teams. I mean, they really haven't played anybody spectacular. Um, so, you know, you can say that they beat Alabama last year, and that's great and all, but they had a lot of different games that led up to that, especially for Trevor Lawrence. You can't just all of a sudden go from playing, you know, a three-star to uh, – or a two-star to a five-star. Like, it, once you do that – you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, and then everything goes out the window. So I, for that matchup, I'm going to take LSU. Uh, and then when you're moving um, moving on to the other matchup, I'm looking at Ohio State, and I'm looking at um, Oklahoma. As much as I love uh, Jalen Hurts and everything that he's been able to accomplish after leaving Alabama, um, I, I think Ohio State – you know, it's going to be a, a an absolute bludgeoning uh, for them. It What they're going to do is they're going to put pressure on Jalen Hurts to move and make dis- quick decisions and make him make decisions outside of the pocket. Um, he can use his feet to get first downs, but he, he is more like a, um, and I don't like this uh, analogy, but he's more like a Patrick Mahomes, where he still stay. He wants to stay behind the line of scrimmage, and he wants to make a throw. He doesn't want to use his legs to get the first downs. That that's not what he wants to do for his own type of player. Um, and I think that uh, Chase Young is going to absolutely demolish that offensive line. I all I can see is Chase Young having a three to four sack game. Um, 
you know, he already set the school record for a single season in, with 16 and a half this year. Um, adding another three or four in the, in the next uh, in, against Oklahoma is definitely something I see. And then you talked about uh, Justin Fields. I think he's an incredible talent. I think he's going to be, um, you know, he's he's in the Heisman finalists this year. I don't think he's going to get it, but I, I think that he'll be in the running uh, next year when he has a real real shot at contending for it. So um, I'm going to take Ohio State and LSU, and from there I'm going to go with LSU. I think LSU is going to beat Ohio State. I, as much as I love Chase Young, um, I think Joe Burrow knows the plays that need to be made. He can make them with his feet. He can make them with his arm. He's got incredible talents all around him, both at receiver and at running back. Um, they are in, uh, a very tough team to tackle. And uh, I, I just believe that LSU has more weapons than can be defended from Ohio State. So with that being said, I think LSU is going to be our national champion this year. Yeah, I mean, the it, it's quite possible, but I, I just think that Ohio State has too too much going for him right now. Justin Fields, like I said, 40 touchdowns to one interception, 10 rushing touchdowns. He he honestly, to me, looks like the next Deshaun Watson. He has the same play style, 6'3", 225, same body size. I just, he that that's a tough person to take down. He, he's, you know, going to sh- shift it in the pocket, move out. He'll go through one, two reads, then take off running. He has clearly the, the ability um, he doesn't. Yeah, but we he, saw I what know. LSU was able to do. Uh, yeah, we saw what LSU was able to do against a team like Alabama. Now, this isn't the best team that they put out there, but they're no, they're known, you know, scrubs. They were, they have a a solid O line. They were able to get constant pressure on Tua. Um, and if you've seen their games, LSU is consistently putting pressure without having to blitz. I I don't think Justin Fields is in a position where he's going to be able to make enough plays to get them over the hump against LSU. Right, but because LSU, I, I don't see LSU hasn't faced Ohio State. This is a different team than Alabama. This is this isn't un, this is unlike any other team that they have faced this season. There, there's just nobody like Ohio State right now. They're too dominant on both sides of the ball for anybody to stop. Well, I, I think where, the, where Ohio State lacks is right now is in their DBs, and I, th- I think that's the biggest issue because I believe that Joe Burrow is going to be able to game pl- – they're going to be able to game plan for Chase Young. They're going to double and triple team him. He And if he is satisfied, if he is somebody that you can basically take off the field by uh, accounting for them, then – I I don't see this Ohio State defense being something that is going to be able to stop Joe Burrow and the weapons that are around him. Uh, their running game is way too strong. We've seen, uh, you know, pro level linebackers who have a tough time wrapping this guy up. Um, you know, Joe Burrow right now is clearly the best player in my opinion in college football, and I just think that when it comes to showcasing that talent there is no bigger stage than the national championship game and i th- i think that he's going to rise to the occasion well like i said uh justin fields reminds me of a young deshaun watson and we saw what deshaun watson did at clemson he rose to the occasion he beat the almighty alabama crimson tide 
I, I, I see the same thing inside Justin Fields, and I think he has what it, 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 it'll take to get the job done. That's fine. But just because you look like somebody doesn't mean you are that person. You know, it's different mindsets. It's different skill sets. They may look the same and they may play similar, but they are not the the same exact person. Okay, so but even so, he, I, I, he's so risk adverse. I just don't think that he's going to just fall apart in the last game. Even if, if it's on the grandest stage, he's not going to fall apart and start throwing two, three interceptions in the, in the national championship. He's not he doesn't going even to. have to turn the ball over. He may not be able to complete passes. That but, LSU defense is something to write you home know, but about. But he doesn't they, need to complete they, passes. He has his legs to use to help him. He has a running game. He has a solid offensive line. No one. You did. said you said Joe Burrow hasn't seen a team like uh, Ohio State. Well, I'll tell you what. Ohio State hasn't seen a team like LSU either. They are in it for the long haul, and they are built to win. I there is not a more complete team in college football than LSU right now. I I don't know about that because Alabama beat. Uh, I think had a had a very strong chance at beating them. Alabama beat themselves in that game. If I just. If it weren't for you know so terrible penalties at the end of the the first half in that game that that resulted in a touchdown that brought it closer and, and just a huge uh, surge by the offense in the second half to take the lead, Alabama would have had that win. LSU would probably have been knocked out. I just don't think that they they faced up against that Alabama team and almost lost. That Alabama team lost to Auburn a few weeks later. And Without Tua, though, you're talking about a team with Tua Tagovailoa at quarterback versus a team that didn't have him. So you can't talk about the it, Auburn game but without making that distinction. But they still have a backup quarterback who's more than capable of being able to get the job done with the weapons. Not rushing. against the top tier talent like Auburn. They're still a top 25 team in college football. He wasn't starting for a reason. He wasn't even competing for a starting job for a reason. He was going to be the third-string quarterback if Jalen Hurts didn't leave and go to Oklahoma. Any, but any Alabama team coached by Nick Saban is going to be it's going to be capable of beating an Auburn team. Any Auburn. That's team. not true. That is not true. Sometimes you just don't have the requisite talent to actually get it done. And we're seeing that in in different areas throughout football. I, I think that there's certain talent, uh, certain areas of talent that you just cannot make up for in coaching, and one of them is the quarterback position. I don't think that bringing up Alabama's backup quarterback and comparing him to Joe uh, to Joe Burrow is something that you can really rest your prediction on. Well, I think that Alabama almost beat LSU, and that LSU is going to clearly lose to Ohio State in the national championship. Well, I disagree with you, and I think that, uh, you know what, right now I want to put a, a case of Diet Coke on it for you. So we both drink it. I think it's a lovely. I, I implore other people to drink it if you want. Um, <laughs> But ha- let's put a case on it right now. Okay. If the if they match up in the national championship game, that we're putting a case on it. Deal. All right, you heard it here first. So, um, I, you know, it, we're just you and I are very different on uh, our stances right now. We're not gonna we're not gonna come together on this. So I think this is the most uh, likely solution. No, we we evaluate talent differently, 
And clearly you're wrong in this situation. Oh, that's cool. Um, <laughs> another thing that uh, you're probably going to be wrong about, we'll oh. see, is the uh, Heisman prediction. So uh, the finalists have been named. Um, we have Joe Burrow, who I've talked about in length, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, and Chase Young. So uh, for the first time ever, two players from the same uh, school are finalists for the Heisman Trophy. Uh, so I want to get your thoughts on who, who you believe is going to win the Heisman Trophy this year. I think it's pretty incredible that Chase Young made it into this conversation, and he's now there as a finalist going to New York this weekend. As it, Especially as because as, he missed uh, two games because of uh, because yeah, of eligibility rule issues. Violations. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I, it's as hard uh, for a defender to win the MVP in the NFL as it is for a defender uh, or a defenseman in college to be uh, named as a finalist for a uh, for the Heisman Trophy. Yet alone win it. That's why I just think that as much as Chase Young has done, as as dominant as he's been, I don't think he's going to be chosen to win this Heisman. They're going to be focusing on this quarterback talent that, that they have to choose from. And when you look at Joe Burrow, Justin Fields, and Jalen Jalen um, Hurts, Hurts, we look at Jalen Hurts. He's come a long way from Alabama. He's had an amazing season. He's done a lot. He's He's brought this Oklahoma team probably farther than people thought he would have been able to. He, his, his numbers have been uh, exceptional, but I don't think it'll be enough. I, I think that his, uh, the, his, the other finalists here have done a little bit more to th- than he has, and I'm going to move forward with Jalen Fields. He, like I've uh, said before, he had uh, – Justin Fields, thank you. Like I said, he had 40 touchdowns and one interception, but he only had 26 – he had under 2,600 passing yards. Um, he uh, just – he had he had a solid QBR. I think it was just over a 90 QBR, like roughly a 91 QBR. He, those are solid stats. But then when you look at Joe Burrow, 4,700 passing yards. That's number two in college. He had, uh, I believe it was 46 or 47 touchdowns to seven interceptions. It was 48 to six. Thank you. And then he had uh, a QBR of a a 93, almost a 94. These are some of the top numbers in each of these categories for any quarterback in college. And I just think what he did as a senior compared to Justin Fields, who's a sophomore – I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna take into account uh, th- all of that because Justin Fields has more years of eligibility for the Heisman. I think Joe Burrow has done so much. He's brought this LSU team so much farther than anybody could have imagined. He's done an amazing job. He, he's clearly shown that he is going to be an amazing quarterback for years to come, and I think he's more than deserving of winning this Heisman Heisman trophy this year. Yeah, um you laid it out well. Chase Young, sixteen and a half sacks, six forced fumbles, um and Jalen Hurts, thirty six hundred yards, thirty two touchdowns, seven interceptions. Though those two players are going into the draft. Um so this is their final year of eligibility. Um 
I think what sets Joe Burrow and Justin Fields apart is that Joe Burrow has almost 2,000 more passing yards, um, eight more touchdowns, um, but there is five more interceptions. The Plus, you add on the fact that this is his, his uh, junior year, he his last year of eligibility. Um, I, I think that the committee would be uh, stupid and naive to choose anybody but Joe Burrow. Uh, he put up almost 5,000 yards passing, and this man has led an LSU team that uh, has been lacking in the quarterback department for some time on the map and has a, has propelled them to be uh, in in contention for the best team in all of college football. So... Everything that he's shown, the major wins on his record, um, going uh, 13-0 and so far this year, um, is truly an incredible feat. I think that Joe Burrow has done his part. I think he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. And I honestly, I don't think that there's a close second right now. I really don't. I don't think Chase Young is truly being considered. And I don't think Jalen Hurts nor Justin Fields even come close, statistically speaking, and with the with – the, uh, the wins that LSU has, uh, I, I truly don't think that anybody else is going to be really considered. Yeah, and I, I, it'll be uh, – we can finally break the streak of Oklahoma quarterbacks winning the Heisman Trophy after Baker <laughs> Mayfield right. and Kyler Murray. Yep, it's, it's, uh, it's about time. Uh, although, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts is a finalist, it's, uh, I, I believe the streak will be broken. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's going to wrap it up for football. I, I, one thing that's happening that, uh, doesn't get a lot of attention these days, um, is baseball. Now we're obviously in the very short off season, but right now is right before winter meetings start. So things are going to start to heat up for free agents. Uh, a lot of trades are going to be made. Um, and one of those major pieces, uh, has already fallen, um, that would be Steven Strasburg re-signing to stay with the Washington Nationals, the World Series champion Washington Nationals at that. Um, so uh, I don't have the exact numbers for you. I, I will pull them up uh, soon. Strasburg had seven seven years, $245 million. It comes out to $35 million a year. Okay. All right. So seven years. Okay. So taking all of what he's been able to accomplish and uh, his stat line and everything like that, the, the Nats said, you know what, there, there's no reason we're going to let this man walk. We're going to give him the, uh, a deal too good to say no from. Uh, we want we want to lock him up long term. He's the pitcher that we drafted. He's the pitcher that we want heading our franchise moving into the future. With that being said, there's one more major pitching piece on on the market as of right now. Uh, and that would be uh, Garrett Cole, of the, uh, who was formerly with the Houston Astros. He is a free agent. Uh, it is expected that right now the Yankees are reported to offer him a deal that is larger than what Strasburg got from the Nationals. Um, uh, so I just want to get a quick take where you think he's going to end up um, – and especially after his performance in the World Series, see, uh, see, you know what you think he's going to be making and so on. Well, all throughout the ALCS, all we saw when he was pitching was how much he uh, of a Yankee fan he is, and 
what like they they just constantly showed uh, pictures of him at Yankee games holding up these signs that said you know pretty much he's a Yankees fan forever and I don't think that's left him just because he's in the MLB playing for other teams he still is a Yankee fan at heart and this is where he wants to be they are offering him the deal of a lifetime make him the highest paid pitcher of all time the uh, Didi Gregorius the former shortstop for the Yankees, just signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. So he's off the books. They're not going to have to worry about paying him. So that clears up some extra space there. And, you know, they're saying it's going to be larger than $40 million uh, and $35 million. I think it's going to be in the, in the ballpark of $40 million a year. And I think the Yankees will do whatever it takes because they know who wants to who wants to uh, have him. Also, uh, the Angels and Dodgers are also being thrown into the mix of teams that are pursuing him, as well as two other mystery teams. Uh, but the the Yankees have wanted they wanted him last year. They didn't get him. They're not going to make the make same mistakes again and let him get away. They're going to lock him up. They know that he's the missing piece. They both want to be together. So let's make it happen. This is just a match made in heaven, and I think it's going to work out glowingly for both teams, uh, for both sides. Yeah, um, I, I I just don't see another team coming in with the amount of money that the Yankees are going to come in with, and also you you uh, portrayed the fact that uh, at heart he's a Yankees fan. So if they're if your favorite team is offering you the most money of any other uh, suitor, and they were in the uh, the ALCS last year, and they're really one pitcher away from truly contending for a title. Uh, honestly, I, I don't know how you can say no to that, uh, given all the circumstances. Um, they're going to make you the highest paid pitcher of all time. There, I just There's nothing else to say, really. I think Eric Cole becomes a New York Yankee, and uh, they're going to add to that, that repertoire of pitching. But... Um, I'm not sure that uh, Garrett Cole is the only piece that needs to be added to these Yankees to truly contend. I think he's going to be a huge step in the right direction, but I, I believe that there's still more that needs to be done. No, you're right. They still need uh, another solid relief pitcher to go to that's not named Chad Green, uh, and that I you know they they have. Um, I, it seems like everything else is going to work out. They still have Severino and Tanaka. Uh, if they add Garrett Cole to that, and possibly if they get Germain back next year, that there, I think that will be uh, a very solid pitching uh, uh, pitching rotation that they will have to go along with the bats that this team has. And you know, yes, they have to now find a new shortstop to replace Didi Gregorius. But we've seen what the Yankees have been able to do in the previous uh, off seasons, getting players that people overlooked because they were getting older and they weren't playing up to par, or they just weren't names yet, and people were were also looking over them for that reason. And they've been able to bring them into their system and uh, and make it work. And now that the Larry Rothschild, the Yankees pitching coach, is now gone. They're bringing in brand new pitching coach. They're going to get somebody that works for all these pitchers, somebody that's going to help them improve and, and be better than they've ever been. And so I think the Yankees will they'll make the necessary moves. They know that 
their window is pretty much closing because they're not going to be able to pay everybody in the future. And so they, they only have a couple more years uh, to, to make this thing work. So they're going to go all in now so they can, they can get something out of this. Yeah, uh, I don't really have too much else to add to that. I, I just, you know, the rich get richer, I guess. Um, we'll see, you know, we'll see where the where the uh, Astros stand after a the investigation and b after free agency. I don't, I don't know if it's a deterrent for free agents with this pending investigation. Um, you know, because. At the beginning, I said, I think Eric Cole stays. And then with the investigation, I think that a postseason ban is not out of the question. Um, and if you're th- asking, you know, what are we talking about as far as the investigation is concerned, please go back to our previous episodes where we've talked about it in, in droves. Um, essentially, I, I don't see free agents wanting to go to Houston anymore. Um so I think that really only leaves the New York Yankees and possibly the Los Angeles Dodgers for Garrett Cole. But I don't I, think I they have. The, even, I don't think they have the money for him. I don't, and, and that's I what don't, I'm saying. The, I don't think they really or even want. Him. Not that they don't want. No, they want to. They want to make the Yankees pay more. That's really what it is. But, right. So they're going to offer him exactly. You know, just enough to keep the the price high for the Yankees and uh, the Yankees are willing to pay for it because if you look at their roster, the way it's built right now, they're not paying judge. They're not paying um, uh, Gary Sanchez. They're not paying Greg Bird. They're not paying any of these young guys just yet. So this is the and time they might for even them to load, go all in. Yeah. They might even unload John uh, Carlos Stanton too, which take a lot off the books. That'll help a lot. Yeah, I agree. The, so, I, like I said, I, th- I think uh, I think it's pretty reasonable to think that uh, Garrett Cole signs with the New York Yankees. Yeah. So uh, with that, we're going to wrap up this week's episode of Trash Talk. Uh, we hope that you enjoy it. If you have any uh, concerns or questions or would like to have us speak about topics in the future feel free to reach out to us on social media we love hearing from you guys we try to interact as best we can um and let us know what you think of the show give us a rating uh please subscribe to our channel and uh that'll do it for now we'll catch you next week